Radio Mano Papachango. My name is Katie. I'm from Jacksonville Beach, Florida, but I've been in Vietnam for the past three months teaching English for maybe the next year or so. Uh, we've been called off work for a week due to the coronavirus. Uh, before that, it was the Lunar New Year. And we were back for a couple days, but they were taking our temperature and we had to wear a mask inside and teach with a mask on and um, taking some precaution. Um, so I decided to come out to Katba uh, Island, do some hiking at the National Park here. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but they are handing out masks at the park. Uh, so I'm just trying to breathe some fresh air and uh, get away from that real sense of panic in the air around the coronavirus. Um, I hope everyone's doing well, and I'm sending lots of love to y'all. Thanks, bye. Hey Chris, Stuart Matola here. I am a traveling man. I've been, I gave up a permanent residence since June uh, from Boulder, Colorado. I'm currently in Basalt. I've been sharing my time, half time in Spain, half time in uh, the U.S. as I await word from the Spanish government on uh, citizenship application as a Sephardic Jew in Spain. And so I share that with you, the passion and admiration for Spain and enjoyment of it. And I'm curious where you're at these days with Spain. I know you've been traveling to Guatemala, Thailand. I know you've been in Crestone. I think you got a home base there. Um, but more than anything, just want to say thank you. been appreciating your uh, insights and the people you bring on and the wonderful conversations that you have um, helps you know me at times to keep company because the traveling life the the life without a uh, permanent residence one of the challenges of it at times and it's a very small challenge in comparison to all the benefits is uh, yeah sometimes just feeling on on one's own ain't that the truth though yeah, I hear that. That's uh, uh, understated, I would say. The the sort of traveling alone thing, uh, the solitude that comes from that constant movement is intense. It's super intense. I think it's accentuated by the fact that you're never at home. You're never in a familiar place. So... There are no familiar faces, there are no familiar spaces, there are no familiar fucking smells or shapes or forms. Um, the most intense solitude I've ever experienced in my life was definitely traveling. And it's hard, but it's so necessary, so important. Uh, so informative and so enriching ultimately because uh, who was it? I think Pascal, the French philosopher said all man's problems can be traced back to his inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And I think what he was trying to say is so much of what's wrong in society comes back to this need to distract ourselves so much of the bullshit in our lives so much of the toxins that we take into our bodies and our minds we do so as a result of some essential state of discontent that we're in and people way smarter than me have written about this copious volumes on these issues. Um, 
we could argue that it's because of the sort of natural condition of humanity is one of discontent. People argue that uh, there's a sort of natural human need to travel, to move, to explore, to go to Mars, to go to the New World, to go to fucking Antarctica because it's just the way we are. And um, I don't know that that's true. I don't necessarily agree with that because I see the way we are as being also very content when we're content. If necessity is the mother of invention, then um, contentment is the mother of relaxation. And our species, this is something I wrote about in Civilized to Death, there's a sort of a conundrum in the evolution of humanity where for tens of thousands of years, nothing seems to have happened as far as the archaeological record is concerned. Um, No great advances in arrowhead chipping techniques or in arrow making or in, you know, uh, spear throwers or uh, what are they called? Atlatls? Atlatl. There's a good word for you. Missing a few vowels, I think. Um, and, And scientists have been like, well, what happened? Like, why... Why were there no advancements? Why was there no... Why is there nothing reflected in the record that shows this continuous progress of humanity? And my argument in Civilized to Death was like, well, maybe there was no need for advancement. Maybe there were no significant problems that really needed to be solved. Maybe people had the technology that they needed between bows and arrows and spears and nets and snares and whatever else they were using and of course the amazing human capacity to work together to coordinate and uh, hunt as a group which no animal not wolf packs not orcas no animal is as good as that as that as we are Um, even 200,000 years ago, presumably. So there's plenty of food. We knew how to build shelters. We knew how to see what weather was coming and prepare for it. And so why do we need to invent things? We kind of got it worked out. So it wasn't until climate change or shifting conditions in terms of population density or uh you know uh, scarcity of resources animals um, based upon changing weather patterns not until those things started to happen did our ancestors need to shift from the way they had been living and start looking for new ways of living Man, I've just gone very far off from where I started. My point was that simplicity and sufficiency is a place of great peace. And it's a place that we learn about from reducing distractions, from having as little as possible, from to to sort of occupy our minds so that our minds can exist just in a state of peace and tranquility which doesn't come quickly because we're so accustomed to being distracted it's very difficult to sit in a room quietly alone and not reach for your phone or your fucking dick <laughs> or something reach for something to distract you speaking of distractions before I get any further afield in the ranting and raving that's about to come your way I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by OMG Yes it's an awesome website it's a website like many things I would promote to you for absolutely free but they have sponsored this episode so I very much appreciate that 
Um, but even when they're not sending me money, I will occasionally remind you about these guys because what they're doing is so necessary and they're doing it so well with style and grace and humor and and true beauty. Um, it's a place where you can hear women, read women, watch women talking and showing you how their bodies work, what makes them feel good, what doesn't. Um, and of course, every woman's different, which is the point of these things. But if you can gain insight from several different women, um, you can get a pretty good sense of what's more likely to feel good or to uh, to be welcome. Of course, I would encourage you to discuss these things with any woman you're with, any woman you're touching, even if it's yourself. Think about it. Think about what works, what doesn't, and why. And it won't always be that way. Uh, it'll change. Um, but a lot of what's being presented on the website are new research findings. Um, they've teamed up with um, the Kinsey Institute and scientists from all over the place, uh, done studies involving tens of thousands of women and uh, very large scale research. And a lot of the concepts that they're presenting didn't even have names until these, these folks got around to it. It's not just a site for women. It's not just a site for men. It's a, a site for anyone, partnered, solo, man, woman, gay, straight, whatever your identity is, whatever your attractions are. OMG, yes, is for anyone who cares about women's pleasure. So check it out. OMG, yes, forward slash Chris Ryan, 10% off. And it's a lifetime membership to the website. And uh, I really encourage you to check it out. It's a very interesting place. All right. Um, now, what were we talking about? Oh, I was I was ranting about solitude. I, one of my favorite quotes is the Walden quote uh, from Thoreau. A man's wealth is best measured by what he can do without. And that is so true. What do you need to be happy? The further you can dial that down, the happier you're going to be. And by happy, I don't simply mean... I don't mean like a giggling, silly-ass ridiculousness. I mean a sense of enough. And I think that's what is at the base of true happiness. A sense of gratitude. I have what I need. And that is so difficult to come by in a world a social world that is designed around making you feel that you never have enough. Capitalism only works if people feel discontent, if people feel that there is something missing from their lives, something that is available for a price. And so I'm willing to trade my time, trade my juice, to go out and make some money so that I can get this thing that's going to make me happy. This BMW, this new microphone that I'm talking into right now, this new laptop that's sitting on my lap right now, this trip, this whatever the fuck it is. That's the only way this whole thing works. If we all just sort of said, oh, you know what? I've got enough. I'm really good with this. I'm good with what I have. I don't need a new anything, actually. The wheels of commerce grind to a halt, except for the bare necessities. And someone asked me in, a, in the video room that I did recently, someone was asking me about how I find happiness or where I look for happiness and all that. And you know, it's a, it's a strange thing because I feel like I've got, I've attained some things that most people would say lead to happiness. Like, you know, I wrote a best-selling book and, and published two books and, you know, whatever status that confers, like, I guess that's cool or something. But for me, 
happiness is in, and this sounds so fucking trivial, I know, so trite and cliched, but it's in the daily pleasures. It's in noticing how good that fucking pineapple tastes. It's in enjoying bodily functions, like taking a good shit, man. Like that feels good. And yet we're taught to be so enveloped in shame around our bodily functions, most of them, that it's, I know people hearing me say that probably cringed or or laughed nervously if there's another person in the room with them, right? It's like, how how can taking a dump be horrible? We all do it. Everyone does it. And it's necessary and it's great. And it's... Uh, it stinks like hell, but it feels good. Speaking of which, one of the things I want to talk about today is um, Thailand. And this is kind of a weird segue. I, I probably wasn't finished with that last thing, so I'll come back around to it. But in Thailand, they've got these things called bum guns. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a bum gun. Anyway, I'll get back to that. So the point is that it is, Believe me, I'm 60 years old. You've heard, you're probably sick of hearing me say that already. Um, I've been around the block a few times. None of that shit will make you happy. None of that shit will make you feel good about your life. The only thing that makes you feel good about your life are these daily, frequent, small pleasures. You know, having the person you love rub your back when you're falling asleep. Uh, foot massage, uh, watching a good movie. By the way, Red Rocket. If you haven't seen it, it's available for streaming now. Simon Rex. It's a fucking amazing, beautiful movie. Red Rocket. Um, fresh air. Stars. Seeing the stars at night. Watching the moon come up over the mountains. Watching the sunset. That first cold beer. These are the things that make life wonderful. Not your fame, not your bank account, not how big your house is. I'd much rather have a small house in a beautiful place than a big house in a fucking suburb somewhere. And it's not because I'm noble. It's because I understand what works. A small apartment with candles is so much cozier than a big fucking modern house with steel and white marble and all that shit. You don't need a lot of money to be cozy. You don't need a lot of money to be comfortable. You don't need a lot of money to go to interesting, exotic places. You don't need a lot of money to impress women or men. Not the ones who are worth impressing. What you need is substance. And that's free. So long as libraries work or friends are willing to lend you books or you find stuff online, substance is free. All it takes is attention and time and effort and curiosity. And those things feel good. So sit in a room alone, quietly, also known as meditation. Solitude is different from loneliness. And I think one of the great lessons that I learned in my years of traveling alone was to distinguish those things. I spent a lot of time in solitude and sometime lonely, but not much. And I worry that people now with the phones and the internet and the constant communication and the constant checking social media never experience the kind of solitude and loneliness that allows them to recognize the difference between those things and to learn that lesson that's, I think, so important in living a satisfying life. All right, I've got one more intro snip I want to play from Omar sitting in a bathroom in Pakistan, rolling a joint while working on some music that he later sent to me. And uh, I'm going to 
follow his intro snip with one of the songs called Mr. Man. I'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks. Hey, Chris and everyone listening. My name is Omar. I am rolling a hash joint in my bathroom, taking a break from mixing my debut album with my band, which will hopefully be out in 2022 and will definitely be shared with the community of this podcast. Chris knows because I emailed him about this, but one of the songs actually has a feature from this podcast. So yeah, looking forward for you guys to hear it one day and to meet you guys at one of the meetups soon. Bye. Son, give me your hand, why don't you stay here with me? I said, no, Mr. Man, I'm only looking around. I don't know what life is all about, but I know what I found. What have you found, Mr. Young Man, you? I said, life can be so beautiful if you want it to. Just enjoy the simple pleasures in life Like sitting on a beach Watching waves roll around But most of us tend to play it safe Working all damn day Working all damn day see i was sort of setting you up for that song with that little rant there uh the band is called rapta r-a-a-p-t-a they're on spotify check them out i'm gonna play another song of theirs uh at the end of this roma a um, couple things i want to talk about uh, i guess i can start off talking about thailand i wanted to sort of go through and um talk about some of the things that have occurred to me while I've been here. One of them, as I mentioned earlier, is in much of the world, if you haven't been outside of the U.S. or Europe, you might not have seen this, but in most of the world, there are signs in the bathroom saying, please do not throw paper or sanitary products in the toilet. Uh, And this is for the Europeans and the Americans who have this disgusting habit of wiping their asses with dry paper and stuffing it into the plumbing. Um, I think in a lot of the world, the pipes are more narrow. And so the paper will clog them up and cause all kinds of problems. Um, But I think it's also just that people outside of the U.S. and Europe don't tend to use toilet paper. And the system ranges from uh, a faucet with uh, a bucket and, you you know, like in India, um, you basically run the faucet, wipe your ass with your fingers of your left hand, clean your fingers under the faucet, and then pour the water into the toilet and that's the flush. Uh ranges from that to what you've got in Thailand uh, which is you've got this hose with um, a little handheld nozzle on it which is like I don't know if they still do this but when I was a kid a kitchen sink always had one of these things where you'd spray the dishes with it you pull the hose and spray the thing and um, so you just spray your ass with this thing and it's so much better it's it's just like not even close it feels better it's cleaner it's better for the environment there who came up with this idea of cutting down fucking forests of trees to make somewhat um it's not even biodegradable it's like this weird state of pulp where the 
toilet paper turns into some sort of gelatinous glob at some point. Who came up with this? This is a horrible idea all around. And I think the only reason it works and it's worked for so long as far as a product goes is that people are so fucking afraid of their own shit. They're so afraid of their own bodies. They're so afraid of what's happening. What keeps them alive? What could be a deeper form of neurosis than a disgust with your own physical manifestation? Your own physical presence is disgusting and shameful. Jesus Christ, how the fuck did we do that to ourselves? Jesus Christ probably had something to do with it, or at least his representatives yeah um anyway yeah toilet paper don't get me started i'm already started don't let me keep going fucking disaster another thing that's occurred to me here in thailand is that thailand is one of the countries that is one of the cultures i should say that seems to be the least concerned with gender conformity um, you know, the famous lady boys of Thailand are not freaks. They're not considered to be ridiculous. It's just a, it's just a thing that happens. Uh, people who are born, born in male bodies prefer to live as women and that's what happens. And they dress that way and they act that way and that's fine. And it's not, as I said, they're not considered to be freaks. They're not looked down upon. They're not persecuted. I remember, oh man, must be 15 years ago or so, maybe maybe longer. The the world champion Thai kickback, um, I think it's Muay Thai. Uh, the world champion was uh, a, a physical man who lived life as a woman when they weren't in the ring <laughs> beating the shit out of other men uh or out of men out of it's, i get lost in the pronouns but it's fascinating how it's so kind of like doesn't matter and when i was growing weed it was sort of um well known that you didn't want to grow thai weed because it was the most likely to go hermaphrodite which you really don't want to happen when you're growing weed because the whole thing about marijuana is that the psychoactive chemicals are in are concentrated in the resin which is emitted by the female flower when it's not pollinated so what you do and I'm, i know i'm t preaching to the converted on this a lot of people know this um but what you do is you eliminate the males once they show any sexual characteristics so that the males don't have a chance to pollinate the females because once they pollinate the female, then they go to seed and you don't get buds. Buds are flowers that have not been pollinated. So they produce more flowers and more flowers and more flowers looking for that pollen and they don't get the pollen. And so they start emitting this resin, which which if the pollen lands on it, it'll stick to it because it's like honey that's that stanky sweet smell that you get in good weed so i wrote an article i used to have a column in the sort of spanish equivalent of high times um and one of the columns i wrote was about how growing weed was like running a women's prison because you just you have all these females and they cannot get fucked that you don't let any males anywhere near them and so they just get hornier and hornier and more and more desperate. And that's good weed. That's sensamia. So what gets you high actually is frustrated female sexual desire. Think about that next time you're rolling up a fatty. Um, so Thai weed, you don't want to grow Thai weed because Thai weed, even though it presents as female, it can become male or it can have some male uh, sexual organs that emit pollen even though it's got lots of flowers female sexual organs as well 
Uh, so you can fuck up your crop immediately if you have a plant that does that. And Thai was always notorious for being more likely to do that. So it's sort of a funny thing. The country where you've got all these lady boys is also the weed that's most likely to you know have confused gender uh, or confusing gender. Uh, the plant might be totally happy having both genders. But in the context of all that, what little I know about Thai language is that every fucking sentence you say ends with a declaration of your gender. So if you want to say hello, it's sabadi. And if you're a man, you say kap. If you're a woman, you say ka. Sabadi, kap. If you're a man, sabadi, ka. If you're a woman. So it's like everything you say is like, hello, I'm a man. Hello, I'm a woman. Thank you, I'm a woman. Thank you, I'm a man. Goodbye, I'm a man. Goodbye. I'm a, I mean, it's so weird. Every fucking thing they say ends with the declaration of I got a cock or I got a pussy. It's so fucking weird in this culture that doesn't really seem to give a shit. So I don't have any great insight into why that is. Like maybe it mattered a lot a hundred or two hundred years ago. Maybe it's like India, you know, the same country that produced the Kama Sutra and all these exotic sexual teachings is now one of the most uptight sexual countries in the world. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, maybe these are this is a, an artifact that's preserved in the language from an earlier time. But whatever it is, it's it's kind of bizarre to to see that juxtaposition. Okay, moving on to the next subject, a little little more uh what's the word uh i don't know timely i guess um it, as i'm recording this tuesday february 22nd at 1:22 p.m. thailand time uh it looks like uh russia is going to invade ukraine um going to at least occupy some more of the eastern regions of the country and a friend wrote to me and said it's two in the morning i'm losing my shit here i i i don't know what's happening it looks like we're going to war the europe is going to war and not, nothing's happening there are no protests in the streets there nobody seems to give a shit and i'm scared and he asked me to uh, to address this in the next Roma. And look, I'm I'm no geopolitical expert, so take everything I say as always with tremendous amounts of salt, but I think that the way these things are presented is just incredibly hypocritical. Um, in the American, from the American perspective. I mean, I saw David Axelrod, who was a senior advisor to Obama, was saying, uh, you know, this is a Churchillian moment for Biden. Uh, he can't stand by and let Putin thumb his nose at international laws and the, you know, sovereign rights of the Ukrainian people and blah, 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 blah. So let's go bomb the fuck out of Russia or something. I don't know what the hell he wants Biden to do, but anything, any of these issues have to be seen in the context of a few very simple but often forgotten facts about the world as it exists now and has for the last 70 years. The United States is by far the most dominant country on the planet. The military budget of the United States is like equal to, I, I don't know, the next 20 countries combined, something like that. Um, I haven't looked it up recently, but it's something like that. It's like if you take Russia, China, France, England, Germany, you know, Spain, whatever, you go way, way, way fucking down the list until you add up to the same amount of money that the United States spends on its weapon systems and military other parts of the military budget and that's the stuff that's acknowledged not the black ops 
where nobody talks about how much money's going into that and not the space program and how much of that is actually hidden weapons systems and spying technologies and all that. So the point is you've got, you know, a playground with a whole bunch of first graders, some second graders, a few third graders, and a 32-year-old dude who does CrossFit. And when one of the fourth graders throws a punch at one of the third graders, the 32-year-old CrossFit dude says, world, you know, peace on this playground is essential and the rights of the sovereign third graders must be respected. And then he goes over and, you know, beats the shit out of 15 second graders. In other words, the United States saying the rights of the sovereign people of Ukraine must be respected. Russia, you have no right to do this. It's totally ridiculous given the fact that the United States has overthrown more governments than anyone else in the history of the world. That the United States has something called the Monroe Doctrine that goes all the way back to fucking Monroe, which was 1850-something, saying no other country will be allowed to exert influence in the Western Hemisphere. In other words, you other European countries over there, this is all ours. We get to fuck up Argentina. You don't. We get to fuck up Bolivia. We get to occupy Mexico. We get to take over the oil in Venezuela. You try to send some fucking missiles over to Cuba, we will bring the world to a standstill. We will threaten nuclear annihilation if you put missiles in Cuba. Oh, you want to nationalize some fucking fruit farms in Guatemala? Arbenz, who was democratically elected, will let us uh, get the United Fruit Company and the CIA to overthrow your government. That should be pretty easy and get to, what's his name, Bernays, the, the advertising dude to run the show, which is exactly what they did, 1956. Look it up. Oh, Iran, your democratically elected president wants to stop selling oil super cheaply? Well, let us go in there and overthrow your government and install the Shah and then teach him and his henchmen how to infiltrate any sort of opposition group, imprison and torture and disappear tens of thousands of people who dare to stand up for their own rights. Look it up. Chile, Salvador Allende, look it up. The Philippines... Cuba, Bolivia, there are more examples than I, I could, you just pick a fucking part of the world in there. Indonesia, hundreds of thousands, over 100,000 people killed in Indonesia after the coup that the United States, Henry Kissinger, the CIA orchestrated. So for us as Americans to say, Oh, Russia, you need to respect human rights and, and the rights of the sovereign nations. Of the, fuck you. Fuck you. You're so fucking full of shit. And, and what gives the United States the right to say, Iran can't have a bomb? What, you, we get to have the bombs, but nobody else can? How long, what kind of hypocrisy is that? Why do, why are we the world's judge of who gets to have nuclear weapons or nuclear technology just because we got there first just because we're biggest that's all that's all it is there's no right there's no moral argument there's no ethical argument it's just we're biggest that's why we're right why do you think the dollar is the world's reserve currency because for decades nobody could fuck with the u.s so it was a stable currency because nobody else could destabilize it. Those days are coming to an end. So it's ridiculous to say that anyone who calls out the hypocrisy of this is like aiding and abetting Putin. I'm no fucking fan of Putin. Putin's a 
Putin's what we all know he is. He's a fucking cold-blooded killer who takes pleasure in torturing his opponents. I kind of know some people that Putin has thrown into prison. But Putin's no worse than anyone else. And, and that's one of the things that Trump said that I actually agreed with when he said, somebody said, Putin's a killer. And Trump's like, yeah, well, we're killers too. He was right about that. So Putin says the Ukraine cannot join NATO. What is NATO, by the way? NATO is a military alliance that was formed to counter the Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, a bunch of countries that were formerly in the Soviet bloc, meaning part of that empire, quickly joined NATO, and NATO accepted them. So Poland, I think the Baltic countries, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Turkey... I think was already in NATO, um, but a bunch of countries that had for, that were are bordering with Russia joined NATO. That means they went to the other team, and that means that NATO forces, which include the United States, which are mostly United States, are in those countries. That means our weapons, our soldiers, our missiles are right on the border with Russia. Now, what do you think would happen if Russia took over Canada? Even if Canada sort of semi-democratically decided they wanted to join Russia, that they were more friends with Russia than they are with the United States, and Russia's like, oh, great, we're going to set up military bases 20 miles from the border with Minnesota and Michigan and, uh, you know, right over here in Niagara Falls. You think the United States would stand for that? Fuck no. How many Russian military bases do you see in the Western Hemisphere? They sent some money to Nicaragua. It caused such a fucking hissy fit in the Reagan administration that they trained death squads to go down there and kill anybody in Central America who tried to support poor people, including... American nuns in the Bishop of San Salvador, I believe. So please don't talk to me about the rights of independent countries to choose their alliances and so on and so forth. That's just rank hypocrisy. So what's happening in, in you know, from my perspective, what's happening is the United States and the Western powers said, sweet, Ukraine kicked out their Russian corrupt, whatever his name was, he fled to Russia, this comedian got elected president, the comedian's more friendly to the West, so we're gonna, Ukraine is coming with us, Ukraine's on our side, Ukraine's a big, rich country, and this will really fuck over Putin, and Putin's saying, no. No, Ukraine is not joining your side. Ukraine is right next door to us. We're not going to let you take over and set up your military in there. We're going to keep Ukraine, and that's the way it is. And the West, of course, is saying, oh, that's not fair. The Ukrainian people get to choose, blah, blah, blah. Which, you know, in an ideal world, I'm not saying that that's an illegitimate argument. I'm saying it's an illegitimate argument to make in the context of all the fucking governments that the U.S. has overthrown. And the fact that the U.S. has this massive military budget and hundreds of military bases all over the world. You think the world needs American military bases everywhere? Does anyone really think that America is out there defending freedom? Nobody believes in that shit anymore. America is out there defending human rights? Come on. Nobody believes that. America is doing what's good for America. And it's not even good for America. It's good for companies. It's good for corporations. If it were good for America, we wouldn't have millions of homeless people. We wouldn't have kids 
showing up at school hungry, hoping they'll get one decent meal that day. We wouldn't have old people who can't afford their fucking medications. If all this shit was good for America, America would be an awesome place. It isn't. America is a decrepit, declining, corrupt, sad, sick society. So the argument that all this world domination is being done for America somehow is as empty as the argument that it's being done in the cause of freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom to what? To buy shit we don't need that we can't afford to impress people we don't give a fuck about? Thanks. So I don't think uh, this is going to lead to World War III. That's the good news. I don't think this is going to lead to anything. I think this is going to suck for some people in Ukraine. I don't know if Putin's going to take over the whole country or just the eastern regions. But I think his point is to say to NATO and Biden and Boris fucking Johnson and his hairdo, no, guys, you're not going to roll me here. You've already taken Poland. You've taken all these other countries that used to be in our sphere of influence. You're not taking Ukraine. And uh, if I need to send troops and tanks in to make my point then I'll do it I think he'll make his point I think the West will back down I don't think anyone's really thinking about any kind of serious war happening I think it's just Putin calling their bluff and it's an obvious bluff and uh, I think that's what's really happening and all the scaremongering and the screaming and the hair pulling that's to get people excited, sell a bunch of newspapers, get a bunch of clicks, and um, you know, play the media war. But the real war, the geopolitical strategic war, I think it's going to be very brief, if at all. Maybe some bombs will go off, some people will get their houses blown up. But honestly, the eastern region of Ukraine, most of the people who live there speak Russian, consider themselves to be Russian, and want to be part of Russia. So I don't even, I don't think they're going to bomb those cities. I don't think they're going to destroy those towns because they're, they're people. They're on their side, on the Russian side. So will there be a major war there? I don't think so. I think Putin will take what he wants to take, make his point. The West will back down and that'll be the end of it. All right. One other thing I want to talk about in this one, and then I'll let you be on your way. Um, I got an email a while ago from a guy um, who basically was saying, I'm with this woman, been with her for a while. I love her. She's awesome. She's really cool. And we have a good time but I know she's not the one. And I know that this isn't going to last forever. And I think about that all the time and it bums me out because I really don't want to hurt her. And I've broken up with her before. And then she just loses her mind and begs me and I can't fucking bear to hurt her so I break and we make up and it's cool for a while and then I start thinking again and I don't fucking know what to do and so he was asking me for advice and you know in a way it's like I don't know if I'm super qualified to comment on this or totally unqualified because this has been my biggest um, burden in life as well, I think. The, the sort of... The inability or, or the, the, the unwillingness to hurt someone that I love. And the fact is that, as I've said previously on the podcast, love is easy. 
like how do you not love how do you i mean i i was having breakfast this morning and there was this little girl dancing around she was like three or four or something i don't know her i don't know her name we probably don't even speak the same language but how do you look at her and not feel love how do you not love that beautiful little spirit that's dancing around and so how do you not love someone that you've shared your life with for any amount of time if you've truly shared it how do you not love someone that you've watched sleeping someone you've noticed the little details of the way her face moves and her lips move when she smiles or when she has a thought or a memory or tells you her dreams or cries when she's thinking about something that, you know it's it's like how do you not love someone that you've connected to I, I i think it's impossible if you've truly connected at all but that doesn't mean that you need to live your life with everybody that doesn't mean that you you know you owe them your eternal presence and so you come up against this really difficult conundrum where it's like i love this person but i also feel the need to make a decision that i know is going to really hurt them and i don't want to do that because i'm not the kind of person who hurts people he loves And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's the wrong framing. I mean, often when, when there appears to be no answer to a question, sometimes there just isn't. I read, I was reading Jung's autobiography. I'm halfway through that. I, I read it 30 years ago. I'm rereading it. It's awesome. Memories, dreams, and reflections. And he says something in there that I've said on this podcast, which is that some of life's most perplexing questions are never answered. They're just outgrown. Um, but I think that some of life's most perplexing questions are just framed wrong. Um, and I think that this is one of them. I think that we think, I have thought, that there was the option of not hurting people. that what I was looking at was saying, well, I don't want to hurt her, so I'm not going to hurt her. But then I've realized that, no, I did hurt her. I hurt her by wasting her time while I dilly-dallied around trying to figure out what to do, or dithered, I think dithered is the word I wanted. I hurt her self-confidence by being with me when she knew that I was constantly vacillating on whether I wanted to stay with her. I hurt her by undermining her self-love by withholding some of mine. I hurt her in all kinds of ways. While telling myself I was avoiding hurting her. There isn't the option to not hurt other people. That's the conclusion I've come to. And I was naive in thinking that was on the menu. It's not on the menu. There is no none of the above. It's just how much do you hurt them? How do you hurt them? Are you hurting them in a way that allows them to grow and heal? Are you hurting them in a way that's going to leave a lasting wound? Are you hurting them in a way that's honest? and is going to lead to your growth or are you hurting them in a way that's all about denial and i i feel like this way of thinking this mistake in understanding the actual options that are available to us extends to other realms as well i was a vegetarian for three years and i think i mean i didn't have any real moral arguments about it but I definitely was 
disgusted by meat and the idea that I was eating the flesh of a dead animal. Um, so there was definitely, there was a disgust response involved. Um, and I didn't like the self, uh, the fooling myself around like, Oh, that's not a dead animal. That's a burger. Um, I was in a period where I I just really didn't want to lie to myself about anything. So I was trying to be as brutally honest with myself as I could. Um, yeah, which is always a, a fool's errand. But anyway, I was... I think part of it for me was also that I didn't want to kill anything. I didn't want to be involved in the killing of any animals and so I thought that by being a vegetarian I absolved myself of that shame and guilt and that I was approaching some more innocent and pure state of existence and now I look at that and say that's a bunch of bullshit that's me not being willing to admit to the reality of my life and to life in general, which is that life eats life. There's no way of getting around that. So if a vegetarian is a vegetarian because they think they don't want to participate in the death of anything, go to a fucking soy farm and watch the fields get plowed over and all the insects and rodents and birds nests and varied plant life and worms and everything else that was living in this biodiverse ecosystem until it got turned into a soy farm or a lentil farm or a fucking mung bean farm or whatever it is you're eating that think you think doesn't involve death it does and then the pesticides that are sprayed on it and the herbicides and the fungicides. And where do you think the bone meal comes from to, and the blood meal to condition the soil year after year after year, tons and tons and tons of that stuff, ground down bones of what? Of angels? So there is no innocence. There's no opting out of harm the Hippocratic oath that all doctors take says first do no harm but there's no way to not do harm if you're alive the Jains in India is a a religion that goes to extreme lengths to try to lessen the risk of them doing any harm of course they're vegetarians but they take it so far that they 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 sweep the sidewalk in front of them so they won't accidentally step on an ant and they wear like a mask over their mouth so they won't accidentally breathe in a gnat and kill it and they really go for it but are they living their lives not contributing to the death of any other being fuck no Of course they're not. It must feel good to think you are. It must feel goddamn angelic to think that you're living in such a state of innocence and superiority that you don't contribute to the destruction of any other living thing. Oh, man. But that's not real. That's a balloon that's easy to pop. So I think in these issues, uh, whether it's what you eat, where you live, how you live, or how you handle your friendships and relationships, the question is not, am I going to hurt someone or not? The question is, how am I going to hurt them? How consciously, how honestly, how cleanly? And am am I going to do it in a way that is thoughtful in terms of allowing them to heal and to grow? 
that's the generosity that's the true generosity not the avoidance that only leads to more pain and humiliation and destruction or at least that's my opinion on the matter all right i'm done with my opinions enough of my fucking opinions i'm gonna play you out with another tune uh by omar's band which let me find that again rapta r-a-a-p-t-a uh he sent me a spotify link so i know they're on spotify he sent me these mp3s as well omar kayam there's a famous omar kayam was he a poet maybe an actor i should know that um anyway this is another famous omar kayam from pakistan Thank you for sending me this music, Omar. I really, really enjoy it. Um, this song is called 4 AM, and it's another very thoughtful, soulful contemplation. One of my favorite writers, uh, Michael Ventura, wrote a column in the Austin Chronicle for years called Letters at 4 AM, before Austin became San Francisco. Uh, he also wrote the book here. It's a, a collection of essays um, called Shadow Dancing in the USA. And one of the essays is Hear That Long Snake Moan, which is one of my all-time favorite essays about the origins of blues and rock and roll and jazz um, in the syncretic religious traditions of West Africa and Ireland that sort of mixed in the West Indies and the slave trade. Um, fantastic. That's where you might remember in Sex at Dawn, I, I quoted from him uh, talking about how uh, jazz and jizz have the same root, meaning to ejaculate, obviously. Uh, what are some other ones? A funk comes from the word mafunke, which is a West African term meaning positive sweat. So it's the sweat you get from dancing or fucking, but not from working. Uh, it's enjoyable sweat. So whatever you're doing, I hope you're having enjoyable sweat. Have a funky day. This is called uh, 4 a.m. And the band is Rapta, R-A-A-P-T-A. And make sure you go check out omgs.com forward slash Chris Ryan and uh, learn some stuff. And it's not for people who like don't know about sex. It's for people who want to know more about sex and want to learn from experts that aren't talking down to you or uh, assuming that you need some sort of refresher course this is cutting edge new research um, gathered by speaking with tens of thousands of women about what feels good to them thanks for listening everybody hope you enjoy this tune 4 a.m and i will catch you on the other side Summer skies that we feel it. We masquerade in our disguise, people hiding in plain sight, and I can't see them. Maybe that's the point.
I don't know. 